Well, welcome back to the show. It's Evelyn. And today I have my friend Tony Batten on with me here in just a moment or two. And, you know, I've recorded this intro a couple of times and I realize why I'm struggling. Tony comes from a past of addiction and former incarceration. And every time I was trying to think of an introduction or a way to introduce him, I kept calling him an addict or a formerly convicted felon. And those things, although they're parts of his story, um, I just really hate labels <laughs> um, because I don't know. I, I think that a person is so much larger ultimately than maybe some decisions have led them down the road. And it doesn't change the fact that that's what he walked through and does walk through. But I think I still struggle sometimes with wanting, um, wanting people to just have a fresh slate to work from almost. And so I recognize, you know, what? I just need to be honest in this intro and Tony has such a huge heart and he's going to talk in this episode about his, his journey with addiction and how that ultimately led to his incarceration and what pulled him through and out was ultimately community. He's going to talk about a pastor in a church in Oldham County. The pastor he's talking about is Jeff, my dad. And that community is FOS Community Church, or as people in that church know, know it as FOS. So if you hear those things, that's who he's referring to. And ultimately, I feel like this journey and Tony's journey um, is a really powerful one that talks about choice and stepping into healing and wholeness. Um, and Tony has done a lot of work in his path. And... Um, truly grateful that he joined me. So without further ado, this is Tony. So thrilled for you to meet him and hear about his story. All right. Well, welcome, Tony. So good to have you here. I'm really excited to dive into this discussion and um, yeah. How are you feeling? I am excited about it. I just, it's wonderful to be able to share a story and hopefully make a difference somewhere. Mm. That's one of the reasons that I invited you, Tony, is because regardless of anything in your past, what I love is the positivity I see you put out on Facebook. Because honestly, you and I have had very little FaceTime, but what I have loved right. is also seeing you thriving in your life right now and just seeing such a peace. And so that was one of the reasons that I wanted to have this conversation. Um, I know a little bit vaguely about your backstory, but no real details at all. So I really kind of want to start there about your journey. And, um, and, you know, one of the, I love this too, you know, when we talked on the phone last week to kind of talk about what this was going to look like, you said, so you want to talk to an old outlaw. And I just... <laughs> Your heart just comes through in, in everything that you do. So I'm really thrilled to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I guess to start at the beginning, um, you know, I, I, I was born, I'm, I'm in Ohio. Um, uh, I was born and raised in a town called Sydney, Ohio, about 40 miles north of Dayton. Um, not real big, not real small, um, very industrial. 
Um, I was raised by a single mother, only child. Um, I was I was never abused. I was never neglected. I was probably spoiled um, to a big extent. Um, my downward journey um, started at the age of 12. Uh, my biological father, I had uh, been curious and such like that. And so my mother gave me the phone, his phone number. Um, I called him and um, the extent of the conversation was, I really don't want anything to do with you. From subconsciously, I see today, from that point on, I put a barrier up that nobody was ever going to hurt me like that again. Uh, nobody was going to get close enough. Nobody was going to be able to say they don't want anything to do with me. Um, and that started out with, of course, experimenting with drugs and alcohol. Um, nobody ever tends to be an alcoholic or an addict. That was, and, but my anger issues combined with that, my self-confidence issues combined with those things, um, took me to places I had no idea I'd ever go. Um, I was raised with good morals, good values, um, and those have always been instilled in me and I've always carried those, but I just kind of put them to the wayside for a number of years. Um, through high school and stuff, there, there again, I just, it, it was about Friday night parties. Um, that's what I live for. Um, I've always been social. Um, I've been able to walk into a room and not know anybody and, and walk out and have 10 friends. That's a blessing and a curse all in one. Um, so things always came easy for me socially. Um, there's a lot of things that I didn't learn, not having a father in my life, you know, that I, I still today that get to me at times, you know, when it comes to being mechanical or carpentry or something like that, I'm not pro proficient at it. You know, I'm a novice. I, I can do certain things, but, but those are things I just didn't learn growing up. Um, I started getting in trouble, uh, like, like most on my journey with truancy and, and fights and stuff, stuff like that. Um, once I hit my late teens, that escalated pretty quickly. Um, at uh, 17, I was indicted for uh, selling marijuana. Um, they waited till I turned 18. And so that was my first bout with, or first set with the adult system. Um, I was sentenced to 18 months in the state of Ohio. Um, done that, got out and, and wanted to make a fresh start. Had every, you know, had all these dreams and aspirations. And, and so I wanted to get out of this small town. I wanted to see the world. Um, my mother and I had traveled the East Coast a lot when I was young, vacations, stuff like that. A lot of my family's from the Southeast. Um, so I'd been places, but I wanted to do it on my own. So um, I took off and I moved to Sarasota, Florida. Um, I was in Sarasota for a year or so and then ended up moving over to Miami. And I was 21 years old. And as an early alcoholic, not knowingly, all I wanted to do was bartend. So I, I worked in restaurants as dishwashers and valets and such like that, but I wanted to be a bartender. So 
I went to, I moved to Fort Lauderdale um, and then got a job in a little bar. And that's where my alcoholism really escalated. Um, places down there were open till 4 a.m. And it was just a whole lifestyle in the early 90s in that area of the country. Um, and things didn't really go bad, but things never really got good. Um, I would reach levels of success and, and then sabotage myself. Um, after I was in Miami for a while, I, I decided on a career and I liked hospitality. Um, so I enrolled in the Art Institute Fort Lauderdale um, and went into culinary arts and excelled at it. Um, it was just a knack. I just, I had a taste for things and, and I, I had a passion. I, I loved what I'd done. Um, worked at the bar for a while and then went to a restaurant under a chef, um, a chef named Chris Pokladowski. And this is where my experience really took off as a chef. It, it just, the camaraderie, the insanity, um, the taking of many cultures and demographics and skin color and just different types of people when you put them all together in this environment and they work as one. Um, it, it exposed me to many things of culture, um, especially being in Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. Um, so I, I just loved it. I loved it. But in that time, in that area, in that industry, there was a lot of things that went with this that excelled my addiction issues. Um, it was a party. You worked 12, 14 hours a day. You went out, you partied hard. And, and that was with many types of substances. Um, there again, didn't see a problem with that time. It was, it was part of it. We were rock stars. We, we loved it. And just my addiction issues continued and continued and continued. And I was in Hurricane Andrew in 1992 in Miami. Um, lost everything. So I moved back home um, to Sydney. Um, from there, uh, there again, just continued to work and continued, continued to do what I'd always done. But my consequences seemed to get bigger. Um, past just hangovers or spending too much money. I was having run-ins with the law. Um, I was going through relationships. Um, I was becoming very selfish and self-centered as this progressed. Um, it was all about me. In 1994, 95, um, I got into a bar fight and was convicted and, and sentenced back to prison again um, for a three-year step. Um, only done 18 months on it. They, it was an early release. <sighs> tried to focus on I wasn't doing this again, but I didn't change anything. I still continued to use the substances I used. I still continued to be involved with the things I was involved with. And, and those, when I, when I say an old outlaw, there wasn't one thing I'd done. I, I'd done everything. Um, you know, yes, I sold drugs. Yes, I stole things. Yes, I robbed people. Yes, I sold stolen merchandise. You know, I had two morals and that was pretty much it. You don't mess with old people and you don't mess with kids. 
everybody else was fair game at that point. Um, always worked, but always had those extra just mindset of this is how I'm going to do it. Uh, things went along for a number of years, and, and there again, my addiction progressed. Um, not a whole lot in the story between those 90, 95, 96 after I was released until about 2002. Um, my mom was a diabetic, diagnosed as a diabetic late in life. And my mom knew everything about me, good and bad. Um, she didn't approve and she voiced that very much, but I was still her only son and she still had my back to actually a fault. She was, a, after going through recovery, she was my biggest enabler, unbeknownst to either one of us at the time. Um, in 2001, uh, my mom's sugar shot up to well over 800. Um, she had went in, she went blind for a while. She went into renal failure. So she ended up on dialysis. Um, the dialysis just took it out of her and then she lasted a year. Um, and when she passed, um, in my early thirties, I didn't know how to cope. I had no coping skills for death, grieving, anything of that nature. My whole thing was numb it. If I don't feel it, it doesn't exist. At that point in time, that's when things really got bad. Um, of course, my mom had worked all of her life and, and she had less, left a substantial amount of inheritance. And... I, <laughs> I didn't, I don't know if I didn't want it or if I didn't know how to use it, but I blew through it and I didn't expect to survive it. And I really didn't want to survive it. Um, my alcohol and cocaine use went to great excess. Um, for about five years, um, there's still parts of it going from 2002 to, well, about three years, from 2002 to about 2005 that I don't remember a whole lot of. Um, there's bits and pieces. So I was bouncing back and forth. And in the meantime, I'd been married a couple of times, divorced. And, and these were just, you know, these weren't wives. I took hostages because anything, anybody that got involved in my life, it, it was chaos. It was just absolute chaos. Um, in 2005, 2004, 2005, um, I moved back to Columbus, Ohio, and I was trying to get sober. Um, many failed attempts. I, I, knew I, need, I knew I needed to quit drinking, but I tried everything. I'll just drink beer. I'll just drink on the weekends. I, I won't, you know, I won't do these drugs. I won't. And it just, to no avail. Uh, so in, in about that time, um, I had, there again, another opportunity um, through my cooking. Um, I had the opportunity to go on the road with some music acts and stuff like that and do catering. And, and I did. And, but there again, there was a lot of alcohol involved. There was a lot of drugs involved. And there again, that didn't last long. So um, in 2006, I was fired from that job. I was in Seattle, Washington. And I had nowhere to go. I didn't want to come back home. 
you know, nobody really knew where I was at. I kind of disappeared off the face of earth. Still had friends, still, and I still have family, cousins, and stuff like that um, that I'm loved by. But nobody wanted to deal with me at that point in time, and I don't blame them. Um, so I literally stood in Seattle Greyhound bus stop and flipped a coin. It was either Savannah, Georgia, or Lexington, Kentucky. And I'd been to both these cities, and and I'd like both these cities, but I didn't know anybody there. I didn't have a plan, and just. But that's what I'd done. And it ended up Lexington, Kentucky. So I took a Greyhound bus across country. And I ended up in Lexington. Um, there again, you know, because of my social skills and interview skills, and, and there again, my culinary skills, never had a problem finding a job. Um, I ended up a job, a job with, a, with a hotel chain as a banquet chef. And, and things were going very well. But there was still that hole there. There was still, I was still hurting very bad. And so there again, the bars, um, strip clubs, all that, that, that all filled that void that it, it made me not think about it. So getting through all that bad stuff to my bottom was June 3rd of 2007. Um, to this date, I haven't taken a drink in over 14 years. Um, that is the last day I drank, but that is the day that everything changed. Um, I was in, a, I was in, a, I was going to rob a guy um, over drugs, um, and I end up be hurting him pretty bad. Um, so through that, um, you know, I woke up in a jail cell on June June fourth of that year, and I looked at the paperwork on my charges, and I was looking at twenty years. Wow. At what Kentucky considers 85%. So I would have done 18 and a half years on that. Hmm. And something clicked. Something clicked. I'm like, every time anything's ever been involved like this, I, I've been drinking. It's due to alcohol. I wasn't raised in church. I had been to church a few times as a kid on Valentine's Day or Valentine's Day, Christmas, Easter, stuff like that. Um, but for the first time in my life, I prayed. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. All I asked is if I come through the other side on this, help me never take another drink again. This set a course of action for the next four years. Um, I've always been an avid reader. I love literature, um, most time fiction growing up, of course. But I made the mindset I wasn't going to read any fiction during this time in prison. I, anything I could do to learn, to better myself, that's what I put in my hands. Um, whether that be uh, spiritual, recovery, inspirational, motivational, um, probably read over 400 books in four years. Wow. Yeah. And, and then so I just I had that mindset. I wasn't going to I was going to change something. You know, I'd been to prison before. I know the gang. You know, there's hustle, there's violence, there's all that. I was going to try to distance myself from that as much as possible, which you can't distance yourself completely. And that's what I've done. Um, and it's funny because Gary, courses of action. 
have led me to where I'm in today. And because it's put people in my path and it's put choices in my mind that I've had to make, um, you know, and, and it all started with, you know, there's drugs in prison. Am, am I going to do these drugs to, to escape this misery? Nobody knew where I was at. You know, I, you know, I'd done four years with no visits, no phone calls, no mail. Um, and didn't know what I was going to do when I got out. So I had about a year left and the state of Kentucky required me to go to a substance abuse program due to my charges. That moved me from Blackburn over in Lexington to Rotor outside of Crestwood and LaGrange. Um, when I was, when I said I had to go, I'd talked to another inmate and he had mentioned there's an outside volunteer program over there called the bridge program. He said, if you get a chance, I know what you're trying to do. If you get a chance to sign up for this program, he said, I would highly recommend it. It's, it's right where you're going. As soon as I hit the substance abuse program, within a week or so, they were starting a new class for this bridge program and looking for signups. Mm. There again, God's hand at play. Signed up, didn't know what it was. And I didn't know what I was. All I knew is everything I'd read, especially spiritual, there, there was always two things in common with everything I've read. Love yourself and love others more than you love yourself. So I said, okay, let's try this because I've never done either. And it's hard to do in prison, of course, but let's give it a shot. And uh, so I joined up with this bridge program and, and as they started, um, you know, I said, look, I, I don't know if I'm, you know, I'm not a Christian. I don't know what I believe. All I know is I want to do something different. They said, you don't have to believe, you don't have to become a Christian. The only thing we ask you is have an open mind that I can do. Through the course of the next year, this was much more than a class. Um, this was a mentor program. This was a Bible study. This was a jobs course. This was social skills course. Um, this was getting me ready to re-enter society. Um, so as I'm getting ready to come up for parole, um, some of these volunteers asked me, what are, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm restaurant business. So state-run halfway houses across the state of Kentucky, of course, Newport and everything up along the river, there's a restaurants. You know, I know I can go get a job. They said, well, why don't you stay here? You know, there's some places we know. I said, well, I don't know anybody here. They said, well, you know us. I said, well, I mean, once this program's done, they said, no, no, this, that's not what this program's about. This program is about mentoring you here and mentoring you on the outside if you choose to stay in this area. So I thought about it. I said, what do I got to lose? I have nowhere else to go. You know, it was a shot. So I had applied for, uh, put an application in for the, uh, the right house through Prodigal Ministries. And I was accepted. And this halfway house was literally four miles down from the road from the prison I'd just been released. 
So, but I get there and there again, for many years, I lived in metropolitan areas and I'm out in the country. I have no license. I have no money. I've got a bad hip. How am I going to do this? There again, God put his hand in every aspect of it. Um, three days after I'd been released, I happened to be up in LaGrange and I walk into this little Irish restaurant that had cooks needed on the window. Um, and I was given some advice from some people in there, uh, but one of the biggest pieces of advice was from a federal probation officer to write, when I'm submitting applications, resumes, what have you, to also write a letter of explanation, not saying, you know, that you're sorry or not just outlining the facts of what happened and going in depth in what you have done from the time you were incarcerated, not the time you got out, but the time you were incarcerated to better yourself and then your goals for the future. And I had done that while I was in prison and I submitted it letter of explanation to the owner of this restaurant and she looked at me and she says you know we believe in giving everybody a second chance when can you start today so and there again i had worked in many aspects of the, of the industry and i had made some very good money at this time i started out as a ten dollar an hour line cook um and then i was very i i have two two grown children a day and of course, I was very backed up on child support when I was released. So I, for the first year I was out, I literally lived on $600 a month. Wow. But it, it wasn't as hard as it sounds because I had great support. You know, the halfway house allowed me to clean offices and do other stuff to make up for my rent because I started to pay rent there. Um, I had to come up with money for, you know, to get, I had my license had been suspended. I had a large reinstatement fee in Ohio. And Evelyn, I don't know how it all came together, but it all came together. Um, it seemed like forever to be able to accomplish this then. When I look back now, it was really a relatively short amount of time when things started to turn for me. And then comes it was suggested to me to find a church and okay, you know, and I had made the decision to get saved and become a Christian while I was still incarcerated. I hadn't done that yet. As far as, you know, I'd said the Lord's prayer and stuff like that, but I hadn't been baptized or anything like that. So I started visiting churches in the area and at this restaurant that, that I worked, there was a young man that worked there, um, which you know very well, um, Jared Jesco, and we had talked music. I, I'm a huge music person, all types. And he said, why don't you come to my church? You'll like the music. <laughs> so I visited a number of churches, not that any were bad, not that any were good. I just, I didn't feel it. So I went, I, Jared asked me to come to his church and I did, and I did love the music. And at that time, the pastor wasn't preaching. He was out of town. So his youth pastor was preaching, who was a, was a young lady. And she blew me away. You know, here's this young lady 
mid late twenties, something like that at that time. And her heart was just unreal. It was, it was the most bearing thing that I'd ever seen in my life. And I cried. I said, I got to come back. And then over a course of time, I met the pastor. And this man changed my outlook on everything. He changed my outlook about religion. He changed my outlook about addiction. And he changed my outlook about life. Um, because I figured out I wasn't doing it alone. His first message I remember was the six degrees of separation. And we are all we are all connected by that. This church loved me, lifted me, and showed me how to live. You know. Um, I was actively working in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous at that time as well. And, and the combination of both just gave me so much strength um, to realize I, I, I can do this. You know, when I'm looking at people who's got 20 years sober that were in the same position I was 20 years ago, when I'm looking at people that aren't judging me for who, for just being released from prison, but seeing through that prison number and, and that halfway house and, and seeing what I was trying to do and who I was trying to be, it gave me life, you know, and, and the halfway house as well. You know, I, I just, I, I was just in, in Louisville this weekend and, you know, and I got to visit with some people that I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for these people. You know, um, you know, I got to visit a friend that, that his health isn't the greatest right now. He had an unexpected turn, you know. So I stopped by and seen him and it, it was such a pleasure to sit and visit with him. You know, I went and seen some friends that I'd made to a job. Um, you know, I, I ended up being uh, an executive chef at a country club in that area. You know, within three years after being released from prison, they hand me the keys to a country club. And then I went and seen one of the, a, along with the pastor of this church, there's, there's one other person that is just everything to me. And she was the executive director of this halfway house. And I, if there's angels on earth, hmm. Jennifer Parton is definitely one of them. I have so much love for his life, so much respect for her. And to be able today, 10 years later, th this year is my 10 year anniversary of being released. Hmm. To be able to go and have dinner with her and socialize with her and be friends and family is the greatest gift. There's, there's nothing that can compare to it. Um, and then the final thing of my day was to go to a music event and, and meet up with one of these volunteers that I met. It was the first volunteer I met from this bridge program 12, 11, 12 years earlier. Hmm. That we are still friends today. We are brothers today. 
And for them to look at me and say, we're proud of you. It's, I couldn't have done it without them. You know, I, I've been blessed. I, I just, but one thing I've learned is don't worry about what you're doing. Just keep doing it. If it's the right thing, it, it's all going to turn out. You know, there, there's been many ups and downs on this journey. Um, there's been death. There's been marriage. There's been divorce. There's been, you know, one of the biggest things I've prayed for when all this started. And this is hard. I had abandoned my sons. I walked out of their lives and I was the worst of the worst. They had a good mother that took very good care of them and raised them right. But this kind of all started out to reconnect with them. That's one thing that hasn't happened yet. That's the one thing I still struggle with. These boys are still, and they're not boys anymore, they're men. Um, they have every right to feel the way they feel. Their resentment is still there. I just hope one day that we can put all that aside. We don't have to be best friends. We don't have to, you know, hang out every weekend together, but some form of relationship. But that's the ironic part in all this. My blessings weren't what I thought I was searching for. I've come to grips with all this. It hurts. But I have to look at what God's put in my life to make up for that. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, he hasn't seen fit to re repair that yet. And I don't know why. And I get mad about it. And I cuss at God about it. Yeah. What else do I need to do? I don't know of them, but I, I know this. I, my track has led me to where I am today and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. That's kind of it in a nutshell. Well, I want to talk about where you are today in just a little bit, but I do have a few questions about. Sure. So, I mean, Full disclosure, I had to look up this morning before we talked the difference between jail and prison because I didn't want to say the wrong word. I was like, I actually don't even know the difference. <laughs> so I, when it comes to incarceration and um, and those kinds of things, I'm really ignorant. And so as I was thinking about having this time with you, um, one of my intentions is also to kind of bridge that gap a little bit. So I want people who are listening to our conversation to understand a little bit more about what prison actually looks like. Like if you could describe it, or if there's something that you feel like people who are only watching television would know, you know, or what is the, what is one thing you would want someone to know that's a misconception about prison? misconceptions I, I don't there again I don't know what misconceptions are 
and as far as what because I've been there I know what my reality has been mm-hmm. so I prison is one of the most self dignity stripping experience of your life you have none you are stripped physically to be searched at any given time if they feel necessary but of course leaving entering any type of visit environment work environment you know you're strip search you're stripped of any identity your number that's what you referred to as And at times you're stripped of any hope. Um, You have to shut off for an extended period of time. And there again, you know, four years was the most I've done. I've known guys that have been down for 20 years plus. I couldn't imagine. Um, Because it's a mindset to be able to survive it. It's not the violence. It's not the guards. It's the prison between your ears. That's the hardest thing. Um, it's noisy. Yeah. When you, you say the no- when you say the prison between your ears, what do you mean by that? You get so frustrated because it's like, how did I end up here? You, 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 there's no solitude, of course, unless you go to solitary confinement, but. Most uh, most prisons are dorm settings, mm-hmm. um, especially medium and, and minimum security prisons, which is what I've been in. Um, so you can be in dorms of anywhere from 20 to 200 people, depending on where you're at. Wow. So nothing ever shuts off. And then it gets to a point the noise in your head doesn't shut off. This is your life you do become animalistic you do become in survival mode um there again you don't want anybody steal from you you don't want anybody to take advantage of you and you you have to you have to portray that um no matter what you're trying to do you know if you know if if you're not trying to change yourself and you know it's easier but if you're trying to change but you're still in this environment you have to balance it. Um, you can't be you can't be weak. If you're weak, you're taken advantage of. Um, I, I'll never forget. And there again, I have been back to I've been back to the same prison that I was released from a number of times when I was in that area to speak about my experiences um, to this bridge program that I was alumni of. It's not the the visual of walking back into it, and it's not the sound. It was the smell, the institutional smell hmm. that always got to me. Um, but it's a society, just like anything else, you know, and, and everybody's got their place in that society. Um there again, depending on what type of institution you're in, some are, you know, some are a lot easier than others. Some of them aren't, you know, Blackburn, it was a campus setting. There's no fences around that prison over there. 
You know, it's a minimum security prison. There wasn't a whole lot going on. Um, Ohio prisons, you know, and, and there are Kentucky prisons. You know, it was a little more what people think it is. You know, it, it, it was there was a lot of violence. You know, there was a lot of homosexuality. There's a lot of drugs, you know, and, but it, there again, it all depends just like anything in life. What, what are you going to do with it? Um, so I, I don't know if that clears anything up or not, or. No, it's insightful. I just like, I, I, I recognize that curiosity in me. I, I just was like, well, we have this time set aside. So yeah, I, I wonder too. What was it like for you as you were preparing to re-enter society after you'd been a part? I mean, I know you're doing the bridge program, but largely separated in a different society. So what did that feel like? Was there any kind of feelings that you had around re-entering society? Fear. Fear. Yeah. Real fear. Um, you know, I was, you know, in my early 40s at that time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have many shots left. You know, how was I going to do this? And how, how was I going to do it sober? Um, like I said, I just had dinner with Jennifer recently. And, you know, she said, you know, she said that my mindset was already made up that she had seen in me years ago that she believes no matter where I'd went, I'd, I wouldn't have went back to prison. I said, that's not necessarily true. I, I had a mindset that I didn't want to drink anymore. That was there. And that, that was, I, I believe God had removed that from me, mm-hmm. that, that obsession. But I still needed to put the work in to learn how to live without it. But I was scared of, am I going to be able, there again, to survive? Is somebody going to give me a job to make enough to live? I'm not, I wasn't looking for extravagant just to live. Yeah. Um, because I know if things got desperate, my mind would turn on ways to get money that weren't legal, you know, and rationalize it. Well, it's just because I need to pay the rent or keep the electric going or whatever. Right. Survival. So survival or eat. Just put food in your belt. I, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So th- there was a chance that, you know, if things got rough, that, that I could have I made a move that would have sent me back to prison. I was scared. You know, I, I didn't know how I was going to do this. I walked out May 11th of, of 2011 with $13, a bag of books and a pair of sweats. And that's all I own to my name. Yeah. How do you start over at 42 years old with that? But you did. Um, and I did. And it was with a lot of help. I did, There again, I did not do it alone. Um, but people seen things in me. They seen my desire. They seen my work ethic. And, and people watch me that I didn't even know were watching me. And, and presented me with opportunities to help myself. They didn't hand me things. Here's an opportunity. What do you want to do with it? And, you know, some of those opportunities I took in Excel, some of them I kind of backed away from. I don't know if it's the right move or not. And some of them I might have messed up along the way. 
And I, I have not done this thing perfectly. You know, I have made many mistakes. Um, but the one mistake I, I, I haven't made is I'm not a drunk anymore. And I don't compound my problems with alcohol. I don't have anything against alcohol. It's part of my business. It's my friend's drink. I couldn't have done that years ago in the early days. Sure. And I wouldn't recommend it. Um, but today I just don't drink. But for me, alcohol is poison because it will lead me to do things I would never do otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, it was very, very scary um, and very frustrating at times early on. Yeah. And when you were released, did the, was there anything in place? I know that you were connected to the halfway house, but was there any, anything in place? I mean, I had a parole officer, but I'm not really sure what their function is as, as far as, was there any support for you as far as finding a job or was it just, you needed to find a job to maintain your parole? Like, how does that work? Well, luckily through prodigal ministries, I mean, there is great support. You know, that's not mm -hmm. all cases with everybody. Um, your parole officer's there. It's a source to use. There again, people are people. Every office is different. Every, you know, they, they have a, a standard of guidelines. They are there to monitor you. They have a job to do. Yes, you have to meet these requirements. And if you do not, you'll be sent back. There again, like anything else in society, you'll, you will have pro officers that want to help you, that will give you information, you know, to jobs, to, to resources. And then you'll have officers that, look, report, pay your fees, don't get in trouble, or you're going back to jail. So it all depends where you're at, who you end up with. Okay. Um, but like I said, with, and there again, I, I don't know about state-ran halfway houses, um, but I'm sure there's resources there, but I don't think there's as much support there. Mm -hmm. um, I think, I think something that opened my eyes several years ago was there's a, a Ted talk that I love. Um, I don't even know the title of it, but he went on an exploration. He had a lot of addicts in his family who pretty much all overdosed like I think his dad, his uncle, like it was like a string of people in his life. And so he really wanted to understand what addiction was. And so he goes on this journey. He thought it would just start talking to doctors in the area, but he ends up going around the world and having conversations with people in other countries and looking at um, different systems for how we're trying to correct addictive behavior almost. Yeah. Um, and the premise was looking at even I guess the premise that he walks away with is that a lot of times what we think about as addiction, that addiction, the opposite of addiction is sobriety. But ultimately what he talks about is actually the opposite of addiction is connection. And, exactly. and that's one of the things that I thought this is one of, and he talks too about at least our system here in the States and in a lot of Western world, how the prison system perpetuates the cycle of addiction addiction <laughs> because it's puts you in an isolation almost mm -hmm. and doesn't rehabilitate so i'm so glad that those um 
those ministries were there and that you walked through those doors that you were able to. And I'm sure there are opportunities, but I also wanted to highlight that just because I, I don't think it's as simple as some people want to make it as far as, well, you made a mistake, you did your time, like fair is fair. I feel like in some ways, like, well, I mean, we all make our choices, so I'm not even going to say that, but I just, I, it's been eye-opening for me to learn some of that and consider how our system is set in place and what that looks like. And I'm still learning about that. So is there anything too in your mind that we could do better or, or that we're doing properly to rehabilitate people who are incarcerated? Well, the, the biggest thing on, on my biggest thing on this is it's not black and white. Everybody's an individual. Mm-hmm. And you, you have to treat it on an individual basis. Um, I don't think the prison system can do it, for one. I mean, that's prison system is for corrections. I get that. I think rehabilitation is for other places. That's okay. my personal opinion. And that's all that yeah. is. Um, but because the prison system, they cannot, they're not equipped or should they be to evaluate people on an individual basis. They have a big job to do. You know, their job is just as big as, as law enforcement. They are there to keep communities safe. Mm-hmm. And I respect that position. Um, but rehabilitation, some, something has to come just like these, these volunteer groups. And, and I believe there's other programs coming into prisons. They have the dog programs that are helping and stuff like that. There are things, going, but it has to be something separated from corrections you know, for the rehabilitations, mm-hmm. something has to give guys like me a purpose. And, and that's, and that's different from ev- for everybody. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, we have education levels, you have social backgrounds, you have there again, you have the past issues that people have dealt with. You know, a lot of people have led some very horrific lives, you know, abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse, homelessness, hunger. You know, I didn't experience any of that. You know, my, my, mine all was based on an abandonment issue. Yeah. You know, and right or wrong, I didn't handle it well. And, you know, there, there's other people that have had the same issues that I have that have went on and never dealt with the things I dealt with because I made the choice to do that. But there's folks out there that are really between a rock and a hard place. Mm-hmm. You know, you get thrown into the system and you have no, you have no support. You have no uh, family or anything like that. And if they are, they're detrimental to anything you're trying to do. The environment you come from, you know, is it nature, is it nurture? Well, it's a combination of both. You know, mm-hmm. if all you've ever grew up is in the jungle, that's all you know. That's your mindset. So it, my there again, my personal opinion, there there has to be other outside resources coming into the correction system. Yeah, that are, are separate entities. Um, 
to find the people that want to change because everybody, just not everybody's going to want to change. Sure. You know, guys still want to hustle. Guys still want to do what they, guys and girls. They, you know, the large majority still want to do what they want to do. Hey, cool, do it. You know, there's always a place for you. But there's a lot, a lot of folks out there that want to have a different life and have no idea how to get it. Yeah. They're lost. They're hurting. And they're desperate. You know, so it's, it's a complex question, Evelyn. I don't have the answers for it by any means. And, it, you know, and I think our, there's a lot of people working on it. Um, the prison system's come a long ways over the last 20, 30 years, you know, as far as stuff like that, outside groups, stuff like that. But it, we still have a long way to go. Sure. I mean, you know, we're, we're incarcerating people in prison for, you know, back child support. Why are you throwing a guy in? You know, these are things I just don't understand. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, there again, you know, you, you got guys, you know, the, the sentencing guidelines in, in a lot of places are, are crazy. You, you got a guy, you know, sentenced for selling marijuana as the same, but, it, uh, you know, committed a sexual assault on a minor. That's very frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's absurd. Yeah. To me. I, I agree with you. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a judge. I'm not a politician, but that's where things need to be looked at. Yeah. Well, you and know, especially, these, I mean, even on the marijuana front, we have a lot of states who are legalizing marijuana right. and, you know, and looking at the rate of offense. Yeah. I, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, but like I said, and it just goes back to, like I said, the, the you know, corrections is corrections let's pick what needs corrected correctly mm-hmm. yeah you know i'm not saying that's an easy task but we need to do a better job yeah yeah you know, you, know, you mentioned also that you read 400 books in about four or five years what were a couple of the books that maybe had the biggest impact on you? Um, the first one that comes to mind, and I don't remember the author. Author, um, Actually, your, your dad knew. It's a book called Blue Like Jazz. Donald Miller. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. And, and I read that and it just, you know, these people out at Portland, I believe, and, and the, the connection with God and, and how... It, we're all, we don't have to be dressed up in a white shirt and a tie. Our ministry is our ministry, you know, whether we're in the streets or we're in a church pew. That's right. So that one got me. Um, Eric Clapton's biography. Um, his battles with addiction. Um his devastating, you know, he had some devastating stuff happen in his life. Of course, everybody knows about him losing his child, but there was many other things. But he has open recovery centers across the world. Um, what's, what's another one off the top of my head? 
I have, and now I'm blank. But that's okay. But I'm yeah, just but curious. No, yeah, there, there's, but yeah, I will always remember the book uh, "Blue Like Jazz." I mean that 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 was really one of the first ones that got me. Mm-hmm. Um, it started a pull, you know. I guess. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I want to talk just a moment too about uh, what you're doing now, and you've got an event coming up here in September. But I'm curious too, you know, if if you were able to have a conversation with your sons right now, what would you say to them? Give me a chance. Get to know me again. I'm not perfect. I'm I, I'm a jerk in a lot of ways. But I'm do, trying to do the right things today. And that's not just staying sober or staying out of jail. That's being a part of a community. That's doing things that's out of my comfort zone. A podcast. I'm 50 years old. I don't know what a podcast is. <laughs> but here I am. You know, get to know me. I'm not who I was 20, 25 years ago. You know, just that simple. Yeah. You know, and then make the choice. It still may be a distant relationship. I don't know. And and that's fine. You know, there are families like that without the issues that I have in between. You know, just because your family don't mean you got to like each other. Sure. You may love each other, but that don't mean you got to like each other. So like I said, it's just, it's get to know me. Yeah. And if there was one question you could ask them, just no bars, what would you want to know about them? I I don't know if there's really a question. Like I said, I was getting ready to say, you know, my oldest son and I, we have a very limited relationship. We talk from time to time. Um, But there again, he's not involved in my life, but I've never really thought about that, Evelyn. I, if I could ask a question. I'm blank. I don't know. Yeah. You know, because I've asked, you know, why? I've asked, do you forgive me? You know, um, I, I don't know. I just don't know. Okay. I was just curious. That's something, that's, uh, that's something I'm definitely going to think about, though. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing now and um, and what you've got coming up in September. Well, what I've done now, like I said, over all these years in the food business and such like that, um, I was living in Kentucky, uh, had no real intentions of ever moving back to my hometown or anything like that. Um, but I reconnected with a high school classmate. Um, she had come down for a music event and stuff like that. Uh, and it started out as friendship and we done a about a two-year long distance relationship um between ohio and kentucky there again had never put any labels on it or anything like that we were just dating um and then things got serious so eventually i it was time to make a decision and so she couldn't move because at that time her father he she took care of her father and she still had kids in school so we i made a decision to move back to ohio so in that I, there again i'm in a rural area 
And so the restaurant business is not real prominent up here unless I want to travel big time. So I went to work for a corporation, Crown Corporation. Um, and so, but that has allowed me to do other things food wise. Um, I've, you know, been sharing back with, you know, and there again, I have reconnected with so many people that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And so many people have just, there again, a whole nother level of support. Because in Kentucky, the folks that met me, met me on that upward spot, changing, seeing the change, you know, seeing things. Go. The people that know me here knew me. And a lot of people don't know everything, of course, you know, because I was gone for so long. But knew me then and know me now. Yeah. Type thing. And, and every, it's just such great support. And, and so many people have just said, oh, we're so proud. We're so glad you're back. And that's humbling. You know, because I didn't think that of myself for many years. And I was nervous about moving back here, just as I was about being released to, out of prison. It was about the same level. And, but I, have, we have extended on, on, on many things, on doing, doing events and, and weddings. Um, we took over uh, her father's property. Um, we have a large lot with a, with a pond and, and a, like a camp area, stuff like that. So I'm just moving forward. I don't know where I'm going with all this. Um, My brain goes 15 miles an hour, but I I just, I I always want to continue to do something, do something more than just going and punching a clock and coming home. And, And my wife probably thinks I'm crazy half the time. Some of the ideas I come up with, but so September 11th, last year, I wanted to throw a party. So I done a, what they call Carolina low boil. It's where you put everything in one pot, you pour it out, everybody eats, have a good time. Um, and we know a number of people in, in local and regional music up here. So I had a guy come up and play and stuff like that. So this year, um, some things kind of snowballed um, and it got a little bigger. Uh, so we have a regional, uh, September 11th, we are doing another low boil, but we're also adding barbecue uh, southern barbecue as well because a lot of people don't do seafood or allergic to seafood so that'll all be separate just for a bigger attraction um, we have a regional band out of cincinnati um, called the menus they are a fabulous act they have been around for 38 years wow doing what they do yeah um and they're they're nostalgic for my generation a lot of people and they are a great cover party band you know dance music you know, top 40 type stuff. Um, and then we've got a couple other music tracks throughout the day. So, um, and then we, uh, I always want to give back. I always try to find places to give back at. So this year, since we're doing it on a 9-11, we are doing raffle baskets 50-50, and we've actually just upped it to some, some live auction items as well. Um, and we are going to give back to the local area volunteer fire departments. 70% of our country is covered by volunteers wow. in fire departments. I didn't wow. know that. I had seen that piece on the Today Show. Um, yeah, and that's kind of what set my mind in that. So I'm finding, actually finding out, you know, some of the area volunteers, you know, that they are in need of some things, you know, replacing yeah. fire hoses, stuff like that. I don't know how much money we can raise, but we're going to do our best to raise, you know, some form. Yeah, So I love it. I love that you're taking your gifts and your dreams about using your property for something bigger and, and taking that to the next level. 
one of the best things about this event for me this year, I have a number of those people from Kentucky coming to meet my family from Ohio. Okay. I, and there's only one person missing, but I'm getting to bring those two worlds together this year. And those two worlds mean everything to me. Yeah. Everything. I don't care if I have a sold out show and a level of success monetarily at this point in the game. Because the people I have coming and they're involved, and there's, you know, there again, I'm, I'm not worried about, it, but I am overjoyed with the quality of folks that are going to be here. It's going to be great. It is. It is. Where can people find out more information about the event? Uh, Facebook. You can go to TNT Events. Um, it's a Facebook page. I don't have anything on Instagram or Twitter or anything like that. Um, and for tickets, you can go to brownpapertickets.com and search TNT Events. Awesome. Well, thank you. I want to end with one last question. So if you were 95 and you're sitting on your porch and you're looking out and thinking about your life, what is something that you want your life to have stood for? This guy made a difference. That's all I want to do. There's somebody out there and I've had confirmation, but there's somebody out there that's going to hear my story through you, through other uh, aspects of, of what I do, whether it be my writing, other interviews, and it, it's going to plant a seed for them to maybe turn some things around, to realize it's not too late, you know, and whether that's with alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, maybe, you know, I don't, it doesn't matter. I don't need to know about it, but if at the end of my day, I've helped one person to live a better life that I have been blessed with, then it's all worth it. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Tony. I really appreciate your willingness to share your story and to be honest and so open. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing seeing your events, more of your events, not just the September 11th event, but all of the dreams that you have for what you want to be doing come to fruition and just really grateful. Thank you, Evan. I really appreciate that. Hey guys, I hope that you enjoyed that episode with Tony. I have just one more thing I wanted to include here. This this conversation happened right after I fin you know, end on a recording time together. And he wanted to tell me a story about my dad um, that really meant a lot to him. And I asked, hey, hey, wait, 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 can I please record this to send to my mom? And he was totally accommodating. I was like, absolutely. So um, start recording it. And after I've listened to the message and shared it with her, I just feel like it's such a beautiful um, tribute to, again, Tony's journey, but also to my dad and friendship. And I really think that it goes hand in hand 
with the story of Tony's. And so I just wanted to include it here at the end of the episode. It's, It's really beautiful. So, so like I said, Adele and I had separated. She had decided to go back out into addiction. And, and it, that was, it was a whole nother hard process. But at one point at that, I was at work and I'd come out. I was working at Creation Gardens over on Nelson Miller Parkway. And I'd come out and I got a voicemail from my ex, from Adele. She says, I feel I really need to be involved with folks for support and, you know, and whatever she was trying to do. And I was kind of like, I get it, but I don't want to be around you. You know, I just, I, it was just that, that scab was too raw. So I'd called, left your dad a voicemail. I said, look, this, this is what I got. You know, I, I think, you know, of course, folks helped me. I'm willing to step away and, and let Adele, I, I, but I just want to let you know. I go back into work off break come back out lunch. There's a voicemail from your dad. Verbatim, his first words was, Tony, this is bullshit. You're not going anywhere. You need us and we need you. We'll figure it out. Don't you dare make any decisions until we talk. And I'm like, when my pastor tells me I'm full of, you know, when this is bullshit, that's just keeping it as real as you can keep it with, for me, a lot of people may not see it that way, but he knew he needed to talk to me in my language. And he did. Yeah. And I'll forever love him. Forever. You know, I just, he gave me so much great advice. Um, he taught me it was about my relationship with God and my understanding of the teachings of Christ. People were there to guide me and, and ask me questions, but at the end of the day, it's my relationship. That was one of the biggest things that that has kept my faith. You know, that's what gets me on the back porch in the morning talking to God. You know. And whether it's giving him praise or, or, or raising hell because I'm mad about something because it's not going my way. You know, it, I realize it's okay to do that. God can handle that. You know, he's not going to love me any less. Your dad taught me a lot. But one thing he mainly taught me was friendship. And what brothers can do for each other with love so i julie when you see this i love you guys so much thank you for everything you've done for me i will never forget and i will never quit being grateful for your family post church and odom county you changed my life Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate you sharing all of that. It's all from the heart, Evelyn. It's all from the heart. You've got a big one. So 
really grateful that um, we've had this time together today. I am too. I am too. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll be in touch. And, Thank you. Uh, don't be a stranger. No, so, not at all. Not at all. Thank you, Evan. I appreciate it. Thanks, Tony. Bye. Bye-bye. Right. so much for being here today. I've really enjoyed having you along for the ride. And if you want to stay in touch, because you also hate goodbyes like me, um, you can head over to Instagram. That's where I hang out some. My handle's just at Evelyn Fusen. I'd love to connect with you there. Um, and again, I'd love to hear from you by email if you just want to share something that you know, resonated with you or you took away from the episode. I love hearing from you. And finally, if you are enjoying the show and it's something that you feel led to do, I would love for you to leave a review for me wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really does help get the word out about this podcast. And um, yeah, I would just love to have more people as part of this conversation. I really, really am grateful for you. So until next time.